future of work with thanks to VHI Healthcare. Looking at the health and well-being of your employees in an ever-changing workplace with the VHI Health Insights Programme. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Future of Work with Gavin McLaughlin and me, Jess Kelly. Each week we look at how COVID-19 has pushed the Irish workforce to change how business is done. Today we're going to be talking about the future of skills. What are the traits and expertise businesses will be looking for in the years to come? And we'll also be asking how difficult it is to retrain. Later in the show, we'll hear from Paul Healy, the CEO of Skillnet, about what employers are looking for and if COVID has led to some people changing careers. And we speak to Caitlin McBride, who has embarked on a career change in recent years. She'll tell us how she went from journalism to undertaking an MBA and she'll share the tips she learned along the way. First though, Jess, I mean, we're lucky that we still have our jobs Mm -hmm. uh, given the current crisis, but... Obviously, the media is in a big state of transition, and I think probably a lot of journalists have in the back of their head, what am I going to do if I need to go and, and work in a different field? Uh, have you, do you ever have that thought? What other fields yeah. uh, do you ever think, maybe I could be working in this? You know what, I think the biggest thing, and this is not COVID related, I think it's just a media thing, is that media is a very small industry. It's a small enough industry here in Ireland, right? And there are only so many places you can go. So if you're unhappy in your job, so let's just ignore COVID for a second. If you're unhappy in your job and you're someone working in the media and maybe you want to work for another company, you do need to consider that Ireland is very, very tiny. And some of the issues that were there in company A could follow you to company B. When it comes to me, I am just drowning in imposter syndrome every second of every day of every year of my 32 years of life. Like I just am constantly in fear that I'm going to be found out that they know, they, they think that I know nothing and they found it out and I'm going to be chucked out the door. So I have always kind of hustled. I've, I always have a side hustle on the go. And I think that's a little bit entrepreneurial in that I've got a curious brain. I like to do things. But also I just... I'm terrified the entire time that I'm going to be chucked out. So like I think I told you a few weeks ago, earlier this year at the start of lockdown three, I did a project management course online just because I thought there's no harm in me upskilling myself. It's something that could be applied to my role because although I'm technology correspondent here, I have a few different hats that I wear. So it'll benefit me in this job. But also, if I was to lose my job or if I was to just get the hump or, and, and want to leave, um, it's a very useful thing to have. So I am constantly on the, the lookout for new skills and new ways of, of learning so that I can, I suppose, bulletproof myself a little bit. What about you? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I admire your discipline, if you like, that you're able to actually get the course completed because uh, in my previous uh, gig I, I did a, a course on the side as well it was kind of all to do with finance it was the CFA it was called and it was kind of with the view that you know if journalism went belly up I could go and do what you know what they call equity analysis where basically you look at a company and you kind of analyse its accounts and you go through it with a fine tooth comb and then you can tell people you know do, is this a good uh, share you should buy or, or, or mm. shouldn't you but like there was a lot of work involved. And this, by the way, was before I became a father. So okay, I don't even yeah. have that excuse. I actually found it really difficult to come home after a long day at work and then sort of recommit myself to go and study in the evening. So, you know, I've no no shame in admitting I didn't finish yeah. it um, because uh, I just found 
do you know what? It's caused me too much of a headache. Uh, it's but it's it not worth my tough, while though. and I'm, I jacked it in. Yeah, no, I can totally understand and appreciate that. I suppose the reason I did my course, and it wasn't anything as difficult as that in any way, shape or form, but the reason I completed it was because I'm used to travelling and I'm used to, you know, I'd usually take my nieces and my nephews on the weekends. I, I'd fill every second of my day and a lot of that, you know, involved being out and about. And obviously we couldn't do that. So I think the timing was right for me. But this is something that we, we would love to hear from you. If you are someone who's managed to juggle, um, you know, adult learning alongside a full-time job, email FOW at Newstalk.com. Or maybe you're in the same boat as Gavin and you just physically couldn't do it. Would you ever consider taking maybe a career break to do a bit more education and then come back to your job? I don't think so because obviously you're you're looking at taking a hit financially uh, mm. if you do that. So, you know, sometimes maybe you do have a nice idea of going back to college or whatever. But just financially, I don't I don't think I'm in a position to do that. But I w- I will say I have found it interesting how like when I was um, in school and, and going into college, I always wanted to do journalism and. Um, I actually thought I wanted to be a political journalist and haven't got into it. I'm really glad I'm not doing that because <laughs> you'd have to be dealing with politicians all the time. So business was business was an area I had absolutely no interest in. Didn't even do it for the leave insert. Didn't really know too much about it and, and wasn't actually that interested. But that was kind of just where an opportunity came up uh, to get into journalism for me. So that, that was the road I ended up going down. And once I sort of got into it, I actually really got interested uh, in it because, you know, there's so much interesting stuff going on and, and there's a lot of... It's so varied. There's a lot of people out there uh, who have kind of very varied and interesting roles. And often you'd find yourself interviewing somebody or, you know, uh, talking to a company or whatever. And you'd actually think, yeah, I actually wouldn't mind uh, doing a bit of that. I think it kind of sounds like an interesting gig. So I think um, what that shows you is often when you're choosing your first career, if you like, you're kind of fixed on, on, on something that you want to do. And, and it's something you've been thinking about for a long while. But then when you come into it, you might find, do you know what, this isn't for me and actually now I see, you know, somebody is doing something else and maybe that's a, a road I want to go down. So um, that's why I think retraining and things like that, it should kind of be part of the norm. It, it should be uh, something that people are able able to do uh, easily enough because I think it makes everyone happier if they, if they have a chance to get out of a gig they're not happy in, you know? Yeah, I think this so feeds back into some of the ep- other episodes of this series so far about well-being... And even about automation in that if you are in a job and if you leave college and get into a job and suddenly you think, okay, this is my career path now. And maybe you're three years in and you realize you don't like it. I think obviously the onus is on the company to a certain extent to help you figure out what it is that you want to do. And if they can help you and either create a new role or upskill you within your job to find a new role. Say if you're working in like if you're working in admin. Is there a course that you can take then to get into the finance department or to get into the marketing department? Yeah. I think that kind of stuff is really fascinating. That like that's essentially what happened to me. I came in here as a work experience kid making tea and coffee for free on Saturdays and Sundays. I then eventually started getting research shifts and I was I loved being a researcher. But by the time I was twenty four, I was bored with it. So from 19 to 24, I felt I'd kind of done all that I could do in that one particular career. And then the next step, and again, this is a bit sort of uh, in-house, but the next step is to become a producer. But I didn't want to be a producer because presenters can be a pain in the tush. And like (laughs) managing budgets is a pain in the tush. And I just had no interest in that at all. And I remember sitting down with my boss going, 
like I'm scared because I'm 24. Like I can't have completed a career at 24. Like that doesn't make any mm. sense. And maybe I, I, like I start again, the imposter syndrome, all the things that I should have done and could have done. And, you know, should I just have become a primary school teacher like I wanted to? That That is a lot of pressure for a young person because by that stage then you're used to having a little bit of money. You're used to having a bit of independence. So the, the, the notion of, do you know what, I'm going to pack this in and go back to college and go back to living with mum and dad and go back to having a part-time job earning like 100 quid a week or whatever it is. Like that is a big leap and that's why I'm excited to talk to Caitlin later on yeah. because she, like what she did was ballsy. Yeah, there is a there is a whole social element uh, to it which I'll talk to you about in a second but I just want to make one more point um, on this issue of retraining your own workforce it's really good for the company, I think, to to, to embark on, on this road. Say, if we take your example, mm. you were a known quantity. So they knew you were a nice person. They knew you, you got on with everyone. They knew you, you were a hard worker, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, compared to taking somebody else in, maybe that, you, you know, you bring them in for an interview and whatever, but you don't know them. And once they come in, maybe you'll discover then that they're not a right fit. So if you have somebody there in the organisation that you know is a fit for you, and then you can retrain them. Uh, I think obviously that that would make a lot of sense. But there is a financial uh, element to it, of course, and you know we should never forget that. And and same with the the point I was making previously about making it easy for people to retrain. There is always a financial element mm-hmm. involved, and, and we have to be conscious of that. Um, but yeah, moving to the social side of things, like I I can see uh, why people would be a bit nervous about you know making a career change because. I think it's fair to say you might encounter a bit of scepticism mm-hmm. uh, out in the world uh, you know when people hear what you're walking away from this job but you're, you're very well paid etc 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 and now you're going off to go to college for three years sure isn't it well for you like it's kind of people don't want to hear that stuff I no. think uh, I think that's a that's a part of it so yeah I'd be interested to hear what Caitlin has to say about that yeah I think it's it's a brave and not to try and be Oprah Winfrey but like I do think it's brave for people to make a decision for themselves because the fact of the matter is we're going to be working for the majority of our lives and like I'm always lucky like before the pandemic if I was coming into work early I'd get a taxi and the taxi driver would be like oh god is it not tough for you getting in like at this time every day and I can genuinely say I kind of bounce into work every day like I do I'm one of those eye rolly people who just loves what they do and so I don't have to drag myself in. I can't imagine having to go through that every day of, you know, dragging your clothes on, exhaling in front of the mirror, going, Jesus, okay, let's just try and get through today. Let's try and get through this week. Let's try and get through that month. That must be very draining and has to have an impact on not only your professional confidence and identity, but that has to bleed into your personal life as well. So I think anybody that is unhappy in a career and then decides to make a move you have to kind of stand up and acknowledge that that is it's a brave thing to do yeah it absolutely is and um, the other thing we should bear in mind as well is maybe the the skills that uh, are required now are are a bit different to, to what they were previously so obviously there's a whole huge uh, emerging area all relates to the internet and robotics and, and all that kind of thing. Some of the themes we've been talking about um, in this series already. And actually, I think some of these industries uh, are, are really exciting. Mm-hmm. There's also plenty of opportunities, I think, going to be available in more traditional areas like construction, for example. I mean, obviously, we've got a, a housing crisis. We need to get more houses built. Going to be a challenge, I think, um, w- with the construction workforce that we have at the moment. Definitely, uh, that needs to get bigger. And obviously, there's this whole area of 
retrofitting the existing housing stock, that's kind of a skill all in itself. And, um, you know, if we want to get that done, I, I definitely think we'll need more workers in that area. So there are kind of these emerging uh, teams, if you like, that, that present opportunities for people. So even if some industries, uh, you know, like physical retail, etc., etc., look like they're in a bit of difficulty, you know, you would be hopeful that, uh, that there will be lots of good jobs in mm. these new areas that are coming in. Some people probably will get displaced, but um, obviously it's up to up to the government, uh, etc., to try and make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, that like to a certain extent, it comes down to incentivizing people to go into certain roles and taking up certain skills. There's a, a person I know very well who basically did their CAO form right out of college to go to college based on the salaries they could make in the jobs it wasn't that they had any interest in the particular fields it was just like okay if I do this my starting salary will be that and they were very very smart and very strategic about it and they got their first choice very luckily and they have since gone on to continue the lifelong learning I suppose yeah to upskill the skills that they have based on the money they can make off the back of it. There's nothing about fulfillment or any of that jazz. It's literally, I want to have a nice house. I want to have a nice car. I don't want to be worrying about my bills. He's basically playing chess with life. And it seems to be working. Like You have to kind of tip the cap to that to a certain extent as well. What what area uh, did he go into? Tech, Com- I presume. Yeah, the com- tech seems to be what yeah. the, the, the top salary is at the moment. And, yeah. um, and this was about eight years ago or there, about eight or nine years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, the good thing about the tech companies is they do seem to be, and you'd, you'd know this better than I would, but they do seem to be a bit ahead of the curve um, on this whole area of treating your employees well and uh, having a bit of crack, etc., yeah. etc. Et so, you know, I suppose they're they're coming from Silicon Valley, uh, uh, where or maybe some of these practices are more established. So uh, you can kind of have the best of both worlds, I suppose, in that sense. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting that the whole question of salary. I actually I tend to do a piece every year on Breakfast Business about this, just saying to leave and start students. If you just want to make the most money, what are the fields you want to go in? You should go into, and tech is is usually number one, followed by uh, accounting and finance. So uh, if you can stomach, uh, so st- if you have a head for the numbers and you can stomach that, that's that's probably uh, the other area you should go into. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, it, it's a really really interesting thing, and uh, we're going to be chatting shortly to Paul Healy, who is the chief executive of Skillnet. So they're the sort of state body, if you like, designed uh, to help companies retrain their workers if you like also doing a lot to help people uh, retrain in the context of COVID-19 so I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing his insights on this whole area Yeah and of course you can get in touch with us fow at newstalk.com if you do have any questions or comments over the coming weeks we're going to be talking about uh, the home office and cyber security so if you have any tips what did you implement in your own company or maybe you're self-employed what are some of the challenges or the opportunities that you found the email address is fow at newstalk.com Future of Work with thanks to VHI Healthcare Looking at the health and well-being of your employees in an ever-changing workplace with the VHI Health Insights Programme. This is News Talk. Okay, you're very welcome back to Future of Work and we're joined now by Paul Healy, who is Chief Executive of Skillnet Ireland. Hi, Paul. Gavin, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, Maybe you could start by filling us in on what you guys do. Yes, so Skillnet Ireland, we're a business support agency of the Government of Ireland. And our role is to boost the competitiveness 
the productivity and the innovation of businesses based in Ireland. And we do that through talent development and skills development. But we work in deep collaboration with the business community, directly with businesses, and very much allow the businesses to lead on the process. So this year we'll see us support 70,000 workers across the economy and 20,000 businesses. Yeah, so so obviously you, you you work very closely with enterprises as you mentioned there, and I think probably it's fair to say your bread and butter is, is working with people who are already employees of businesses and and helping to bring them on. But I think as well, Paul, of late you've been playing a role in helping to retrain people who've maybe lost their jobs on the back of COVID. Just tell us a bit about how that's going and what you're doing. Yeah, sure. So I suppose when we look at at, at COVID and the impact of COVID, I'm, I'm reminded of the. Uh, the question that was once put to a historian, which is what has been the consequence of the French Revolution, to which he replies, it's too early to tell. And I think the, 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 you know, we could characterize COVID similarly. So look, a disruption at this scale was always likely to produce fairly profound outcomes, or at least significant outcomes. And we are still learning what they look like. Um, so look, what does it mean for the world of work, which is what your question really goes to the heart of. And I think we need to look at this model uh, of, of remote working or I think everyone is betting that it will land on hybrid working, and I would agree with that. So that's going to be interesting in terms of what it means for skills. So, for example, some tasks really lend themselves to remote working, you know, if it's linear tasks, logical, straightforward decision-making, and so, and, and so on. Where it gets tricky is in the more creative process, you know, around ideation, around entrepreneurialism, around creativity, and so on. And I think that's where these remote technologies are, are, going to be, are going to be challenged. So those uniquely human skills of entrepreneurialism, creativity, and so on, will really have to come, come through. I suppose, I suppose the greatest impact that we're seeing, Gavin, is particularly around the customer-facing service sector, and particularly retail, uh, hair and beauty, hospitality, uh, fitness, leisure, and so on, because they've obviously have had the greatest impact. So we don't know yet what the picture will look like when we emerge from the current situation, the sort of suspended animation, if you like, that we're in, we're in, we're in at the moment, what, what that will look like in terms of, 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 of jo- jo- jobs and skills. You know, so, for example, will the um, effect of online shopping, will the Amazon effect have a legacy and will it live on? And what implications does that have for retail and for the 200,000-plus jobs in retail in this country? But I think in particularly what, what, what it has done what the pandemic done was shone a light, a further light, if one was needed, on the vulnerable nature of service sector jobs in our country and all around the world. And we now need to turn this into an opportunity. And it's time, and the government are getting behind this, it's time to invest in the skills of those in the service sector yeah. and, and to enrich those jobs and improve the employability and career prospects of people there. Well, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Paul. I mean, you, you mentioned about the Amazon effect leaving a legacy. I'm going to say it definitely is. I, th- I think it's going to hugely uh, transform the way we do retail. And even if you look at the, the recent online shopping figures uh, from Kantar World Panel in terms of groceries, seeing huge growth there uh, in the amount of people who are doing their shopping online. So, you know, I, I think it's clear that there are a lot of people whose jobs are in peril. What uh, can you guys do to help them? And also... What skills uh, do you think w- w- will come in uh, useful uh, if they have to go and find new jobs? Yeah, so I'd be inclined just to set that question, Gavin, in the broader context of what we see. So I think you're often asked, and I'm often asked, is what we see around us today, does it differ from the big technological ways and the big disruptions and changes that went before it? And the 
evidence is now telling us that it does indeed differ, and profoundly so. It's because of the pace of these disruptions and this change that we're seeing in these new technologies, but also the pervasive nature of technology in this, the 21st year, the 21st century. So in short, we are now living through the greatest age of change and technological disruption in the history of humankind. So it's quite profound when you hear it put that way. Um, so look, the digital transformation, as we know, it's been driven foremost by a data revolution, but also through advances in AI, blockchain, cloud computing, Internet of Things, robotics, and all underpinned by you know, this great you know, global connectivity that, 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 that we see. So are these the areas, um, Paul, where these uh, workers, if they get displaced, where they should be looking to in, in terms of acquiring new skills? Yeah, so look, I think you need, we need to look at look, what are the impacts here. And the impacts have always been the same down to the ages. So number one is jobs get lost, okay, and tasks get replaced by automation and, and technology as a result of these technological disruptions, but also because of COVID, because it has advanced or sped up the pace of digitalization. But new technologies and new disruptions like this always create new opportunities, so we can't forget that. So, for example, the World Economic Forum have estimated by 2025, 85 million jobs will be displaced by a shift from uh, uh, labor that humans used to do over to machines. But equally, 97 million will emerge, new ones that are better adapted to reality and new technologies. So the net outlook for jobs is positive, but it's all about what we do now, what governments do, what companies do, what individuals do in taking the necessary steps to prepare. And that's all about reskilling, lifelong learning, and so on. So let's address the specific question that you asked. So the jobs of the future, what will they look like? and What are the skills in demand? And first of all, that's going to be characterized by a blend of high-touch and high-tech, Gavin. Okay. What does that mean? So what does that mean? So high touch is skills like leadership, um, you know, a commercial awareness, entrepreneurialism, creativity, um, critical thinking, reasoning. So these are the skills. I call those actually the uniquely human skills because those are the skills that machines hopefully never will be able to do. So we have to continue to promote and encourage those. So, for example, the entire Skillnet Ireland management development offering that we offer to firms is, is largely built around those uniquely human skills. You know, our core program to small firm owner, owners management works is underpinned by those, 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 those skills. So it's critical in the first instance that we build these 21st century skills. Stop calling them soft skills, by the way, because they're not soft skills. They're actually hard skills. And often they take years of experience and so on to get really good at and to, and, 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 and to master. So, you know, what I'm thinking of are, you know, analytical thinking, critical thinking, and all of those ty- ty- type of skills, and we have to put that, those into the, ascend- yeah. into the ascendancy. But matched with that, of course, are the ability of people and workers to work comfortably with technology, but not only that, to grow and to innovate with the new, with the new technologies. Yeah, well, the innovation piece is, is obviously very important, and I think it, it, all the, the reports really show that maybe it's an area where uh, our, our domestic SMEs fall down a little bit. So, I mean, I think you've identified quite nicely there what the areas uh, people need to look at are, but the question then becomes, do we have capacity to actually provide them uh, with those skills? So, I mean, in terms of, of you guys, I mean, we're talking about potentially hundreds of thousands of people here. How can we cater, Paul, uh, to all of them? And that goes to the heart of it. So, so for me, this is all about the responsiveness of the system, the responsiveness of the training and education system and the enterprise support system that Skillnet Ireland is a part of. And in Ireland, we are developing an ever more responsive training and education system. So let me give you a couple, couple examples. So 
For example, the work that Skillet Ireland do, in particular with the university sector and with the business sector, bringing them together to co-create new programs for future skills. So this is a key role that we play, you know, encouraging ideation and requirement sharing between companies and with the university sector. And that is leading to some of the more most cutting-edge technological programs that we see in Ireland in artificial intelligence, blockchain, data science, and medtech, to name but a few. Yeah, and, and just, sorry, Paul, just to cut across you there, I mean, presumably the idea is when you're collaborating with, with universities and businesses who, who are at the coalface, you can develop this program that can then be deployed out to, to people maybe who are out of work. Yeah, you, our, our, our people who are in work, both. You know, so, so like, here's, here's a good example. So last week, we launched a collaboration with uh, TU Dublin and with the pharmachem sector in Ireland, okay? So you, you may know this, but TU, TU Dublin is becoming the center of excellence in immersive technologies, such as AR, VR, 3D modeling, and so on. So what this collaboration is doing is revolutionizing skills development in the biopharma sector using virtual reality and 3D modeling. So production lines don't need to stop anymore for training. This can all be done using ocular sets in a virtual way. People, you know, they gown up, they put on the gloves, they inspect virtual machines, they make interventions on virtual machines. It's all monitored and recorded in a compliance-driven way. And that, is, that step alone will save 10 million every year for our biopharma sector and has the capacity to totally revolutionize it. So that'll give you a sense of how we're adapting new technologies to real-world problems and not just solving the problems, but actually enhancing the processes and the, and, and the systems. Hearing some of the innovation that's going on in the sector is fantastic, but I want to go back to the point that you made uh, about the the soft skills, but we won't call them soft skills, because in episode one of this series, we focused in on well-being and we spoke to a number of guests who all emphasised the importance of good line managers, good levels of empathy, humanity in the workplace and my fear, although I love technology and I embrace it left, right and centre, my fear sometimes is that when we, some people might think that by embracing technology, we're letting go of elements of the humanity. How important is it that, you know, those human skills are taught and nurtured and teased out as well as throwing a VR headset on somebody? Because what, as I see it, you know, there's a lot of portrayals in movies and TV of like angry bosses getting stuff done. They get the girl, they get the job, they get the fancy car because they don't take any BS. But actually, if you look at what's happened to a number of industries around the world as a result of COVID-19, it's actually the people who've looked after the people the best that are going to flourish and have the more successful bottom line at the end of the year. Yeah. And look, in many ways, Jeff, that goes back to the observation of, you know, the, the future being a blend of high touch and high tech. And, we, and as you say, we can't forget the high touch. And in lots of ways, COVID-19 has disrupted that. Why? Because, you know, virtual working isn't always compatible with the social need that we have, with the need that we have to be around people, you know, uh, the synergies that come from that, the ideation that comes from that, the wonderful problem solving and strategies and so on that, and creative process that emerge from, by bringing people together in close physical contact. That has been disrupted. And the companies that are getting ahead on this are the ones that are figuring out, you know, virtual ways to keep engagement going, virtual ways to promote innovation and uh, ideation and so on, you know, and virtual ways to, to, to retain people. And it is, for me, it's probably the greatest challenge and the greatest uh, downside that we need to mitigate as a result of COVID and, and, and remote working. And therefore, the hybrid model is, is what we should really be looking to land on, where we still retain that 
together, that whole social sociability, if you like, that goes with, 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 with the workplace, but also allowing for the benefits that remote working also bring in terms of work-life balance, you know, reduced commutes, you know, promoting, for example, greater regional development and all those wonderful benefits that have arisen from, 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 from uh, the remote working. So it's about a blend. Mm. And how do we achieve that blend of working and that blend of high touch and high tech skills? I um, I was saying to Gavin earlier in the show, at the start of lockdown three, I did an online course myself in project management purely because I'm used to being busy. I'm used to traveling and I didn't I don't like the feeling of my brain not being challenged. So I did an online course. It was free to do. I really enjoyed it and I got something from it for sure. But do you think that there that there are certain skills and certain courses that are worth doing regardless of what industry you work in like project management is something that I could apply here in the radio station I could apply it if I was a farmer no matter where I am it's something that will stand to me is that still the case or are the skill sets and the base skill sets changing because of the technological evolution like would I have better been spending my time doing a coding course or something like that yes I suppose how would answer that question is, is, is in two parts so first of all there are course skills and competencies competencies that are sector agnostic and I think you've called some of them out there you know project management you know you could argue creativity problem solving entrepreneurialism commercial awareness these are um, you know uh, sector agnostic that can be applied to practically every job and every every level of seniority so I I think you know that's the first observation that that I would make look I suppose the second observation is and I suppose this this, these are kind of grown-up conversations that we have and that we are having is, you know, the world is changing rapidly. Uh, global changes, uh, shifting market forces, geopolitical, and of course, technology and demographics and the usual list. And the concept of a one and done in life, i.e., I, I do a postgraduate or I do an undergrad, I do an apprenticeship, etc. I take three or four years out of life to do that, and that's me done. That we, we have to dismiss that as a norm. You know, that now has to be an exception. The norm has to be lifelong learning. What you're talking about, Jess, using those opportunities in the downtime, for example, to engage in lifelong learning, to pick up a new accreditation, to pick up a new course, because there is a, a, a major um, policy challenge that we have here, which is around skills stagnation and skills obsolescence and being left behind. And, you know, we know the societal problems that can be stored up. We see evidence of that around the world already. The societal problems that are stored up when we don't invest in people, in human capital, whether that is government policy, our companies, or the individual themselves taking ownership of their own career development and lifelong learning. Two other areas I want to touch on with you, Paul, and we, we might just cover them briefly because we're against the clock. Uh, first is just to go back to this issue of capacity, and you mentioned the whole VR headsets being used, etc., etc. Um, obviously, online learning can, can help you make a dent in um, you know getting all the hundreds of thousands of people uh, potentially who need new skills actually getting them new skills the online learning could help but it's still going to be a big challenge isn't it? Oh, look, that, that's, it's, a, it's a great challenge you know the, and all of us look at all in awe at how quick the transition has been made to uh, virtual platforms you know distance learning online learning you know virtual working etc and when we remember last year that happened in what a six, six, six week time frame let's say it was a very 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 quick 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 shift but yet again I think we need to ask Gavin, what will be the legacy? How sustainable is, you know, uh, when we emerge from the vaccine rollout and hopefully we're in the final turn turn of the wheel now and we return to some semblance of normality, you know, how do we move on 
you know, and what do we shed, actually? What do we shed of those, uh, this culture, if you like, that is built up in these practices and behaviours that, 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 that have built up? Keeping yeah. the best, but, 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 but disregarding, you know, the, 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 leg, the, 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 the legacy aspects. Well, that's the, the perfect segue into the final thing I wanted to ask you about, which is our, our school curriculum. And I wonder, Paul, can there be some things shed from that? I mean, dare I say it? Is it worth maybe making the Irish language optional and, and spending a bit of time on Don't automation skills? Don't even think Don't mind, Jess. This, I'm always, you know, we, when we hear this, the Irish language, all of us revert to peg. I think anyone in my gener- gen- generation does, you know. But yeah, I think it goes back to this point, Gav, about respons- responsiveness of the, of, the, of the system. You know, and the, the, the primary, the secondary, the higher education system, these are big beasts in every country, not just in Ireland. You know, and they take time to learn and grow but, you know, they need to be cautious in those adjustments as well, and we have to under- understand that. But we have an ever more responsive training and education system in this, in this country. We are the second country in Europe in terms of uh, third-level graduate output. You know, and if you think of where we were in my parents' generation versus where we are now, that is literally night and day. You know, so it, immense capacity, it, um, adaptability has been built up in our education system. So it's all about... You know, government continue to invest in those resources, but also collaborations like what we do with companies, bringing the education and the enterprise sector together. And then okay. last, lastly, the individual taking that personal responsibility for lifelong learning. OK, well, I'm not going to ask you any more questions about the Irish language because I might get a smack. Um, <laughs> but uh, thanks very much uh, for coming on, Paul. It's been uh, very interesting stuff. That's Paul Healy there, Chief Executive of Skillnet Ireland. Coming up next, we'll hear from former Irish independent journalist Caitlin McBride, who'll tell us how she went from a career in the media to an MBA. Future of Work. With thanks to VHI Healthcare. Looking at the health and well-being of your employees in an ever-changing workplace. With the VHI Health Insights Programme. This is News Talk. Welcome back to Future of Work with Jess Kelly and me, Gavin McLaughlin. Each week we look at how COVID-19 has pushed the Irish workforce to change how business is done. Now we're going to turn our attention back to the topic of future of skills and we're joined by Caitlin McBride who has gone from journalism to an MBA. Um, Caitlin, you're very welcome to the show. You were very much an established journalist with your coverage of all things royal uh, in recent years jumping out. What made you decide to shake things up? Well, I mean, a few reasons. I think over the last few years, I was thinking about my my long-term goals, really. And and if you think about it, I mean, as sad as it is, we're probably going to be working for the next 40 years, um, certainly at the age I am, which is 33. And so I wanted to be doing something that not only I felt I was fulfilled by, but also something I was being challenged and learning. And I felt that, I needed something new in order for that to happen. And I knew I needed to return to education also in order to make that happen. Now, I think last year, um, kind of tying into what you said with regards to how COVID has affected people, I think COVID has held a magnifying glass up to people over the last year and certainly in those first few months of things that were working in your life and things that weren't. And maybe there were some things that weren't working that you were able to to just get on with because you were kind of part of the rat race or you just didn't really want to acknowledge because if, if, you, if you acknowledge that, there's a certain complication. I mean, I dedicated 10 years of my life to journalism. I love journalism. I love newspapers. I have so much respect for the craft and I have so much respect for, for the individuals and, and my former colleagues 
And so you kind of have to reconcile this emotional investment that comes with your work. And I know certainly for journalism and plenty of other jobs as well, a lot of your identity becomes associated with your work. And so you kind of have to cut that cord. So I think there's a huge emotional investment in it. And I think that for me, I knew that would be difficult. And so whilst I've been thinking about um, changing careers for about two years prior before actually doing it, um, I knew that there was going to be a significant emotional impact on me as well, in addition to the obvious professional impact. And so I finally cut the cord last year, last May, and was thankfully accepted into the MBA program at Smurfit. And now I'm on a whole new path. Yeah, no, it's incredible. And and that emotional connection that you talk about, like that rings true so much with me because anytime, even if I'm going on holidays, I'm like, but I'm going to miss news talk. So I, I completely understand and get that side of things. Did you have a clear vision of what it is that you want to do at the end of the MBA or did you have another career goal in mind that, that you were aiming towards or was it just that you need you knew that you needed to get out of journalism? Um. I suppose there's probably two answers to that question. The first one being that I knew I needed to get out of journalism in order to go where I wanted to go. Um, and where I want to go was business. Um, I was always, anytime I was exposed to the business development or sales meeting side of things when I was in the independent, uh, that always really excited me. And it excited me in a new way and in a way that journalism hadn't in some time. And so I thought, okay, great. This is something that I can pursue full time. And thankfully the MBA has kind of confirmed a lot of that. But then the other answer is, where I, where do I want to go? I mean, they ask you that question in, in the interview for the MBA. And where I'd like to go is, uh, you know, vaguely I say business, but really I'd like to be running a company eventually. Um, and that might take however many years it takes. But for me, it's about developing the skill set, the hard and soft skills of um, what I need in order to do that successfully. The, the notion of going um, from being an expert in your field and you were mm. like and you still are. I know you still write uh, bits and pieces, but, you know, you were getting front page stories. You were on TV shows. You were on radio shows. You were very much established in your own field. So going from that to almost being the, the new kid on first day of school vibes, that must have been quite daunting. How, talk us through how you felt, you know, when you mm-hmm. finally had your last day at the Indo, which I know was during um, lockdown, and then mm-hmm. being the new kid in school. Yeah, I probably still have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about it, to be honest, um, because I know I would always hear about people talking about imposter syndrome and feeling, you know, I don't deserve this job. And I had a really great job and I was grateful for it, but I always knew I was really good at it. And so I didn't have that imposter syndrome. I don't know, it's maybe it's because I grew up in the US and I had that little bit of uh, overconfidence from an, from there. But now I have imposter syndrome and I completely empathize um, with anyone who is experiencing the same. But I went in, as you say, kind of I was, you know, I was very, I was established. I had some degree of success. I was really confident in the work that I was doing and I had done and I knew the industry inside out. And then I'm coming into this brand new path where you're with people who are so intelligent, intimidatingly intelligent, and you're kind of expecting it to be a little bit of a shark tank. I think also that was certainly my concept of an MBA class as well is, you know, these people who are hyper competitive and hyper smart. So I knew that my deficiencies were always going to be quantitative because it's never been my strength. Going back to school, it was never my strength. And then suddenly I was plunging myself into this class where 
it was going to be predominantly math and, you know, on reflection, maybe that wasn't a great idea. But no, it, it, it is. And thankfully, I've, I've, I've learned a lot from it. Um, but I would describe it as honestly being something that I'm, I think a chip on my shoulder would be the most honest answer I could give you. Um, I would kind of over explain and group work and try to overcompensate and um, especially at the start, like in September. So the way an MBA is structured, you are assigned a few different study groups throughout the 12 months of the course. And in the first um, three months of last year, I was with these super smart, super great, great guys. But I knew like one was an engineer, one had come from consulting and one had come from business development. And so all our skills are different. But what I've come to learn now, and it's taken a few months and it will definitely take a few months, hopefully not a few years, but to kind of recognize the value in your unique strength and your unique skill set. So I'm trying to kind of reboost my confidence back up from the ground up. So I'm trying to acknowledge the, the things that made me really confident and then didn't give me imposter syndrome last year mm-hmm. and bring them into something new where I do feel like I have a little bit of something to prove to people. And funnily enough, I've come across is a lot of people want to learn how to write. And so I'm kind of treating that as my superpower and communicating and doing the best I can um, to do that. But I, I'm, I'm very guilty of, you know, kind of volunteering myself for extra work because I feel a certain sense of judgment that just isn't there. It's self-imposed. <laughs> and it, and it's, uh, so it's, it's, again, it kind of reverts back to the emotional feeling of, of, the confidence in your work and and trying something new and and going into a course that is exceptionally challenging and with really smart people and but overall it's been a really you know great experience and that's also part of the reason why I did it I wanted to be challenged mm-hmm. and I you know I, I wanted to learn something new and I hadn't had that feeling in a long time yeah it sounds like it sounds very um daunting when you explain it like that but there's part of me that can sense the excitement of being out of your depth or feeling like you're out of your depth and also exposing different parts of your personality and your professional skills that maybe you didn't realize were in there because when you get 10 years into a career there's a, there's there's a feeling or a sense that you could almost do it with your eyes closed to a certain extent mm-hmm. yes you have busy days yes you have exciting days but to to be sort of feeling like you're learning again and that that mm-hmm. out of your depth type thing i think sounds quite exciting I suppose um is it tricky doing the remote learning and did you anticipate it being different to what it actually is it is tricky no I would say it's tricky but no trickier than anyone else who's working or studying or doing anything remote Mm -hmm. I would say it's no no more challenging than anyone else who's trying to do anything in the world right now unfortunately um if if anything, I work. I'm a, I'm a good self starter, and I work I I work well with others. <laughs> I have to emphasize that it's not like I'm completely isolated, but I can kind of work. I can when I'm even working in isolation, I can kind of push myself, and and I can kind of achieve my goals. I'm hyper organized, and so I can push myself to that regard and make sure that I'm doing what I need to be doing, both for kind of the academic curriculum and then any additional work I need to do. I still try to write where possible. Um, in terms of remote, I mean, is it different to what I thought it would be? Yes, because when I signed up to do the course, um, you know, we were we were in summer, things were opening up, you know, we were allowed to leave our five kilometers. And so part of the reason I'd chosen the Smurfit MBA is because you do a few different really exciting international elements of the program. One being 
something called the GNAM, which is the Graduate Network of Advanced Management. And in that, you go to another university, and it's these top universities around the world. So the opportunity to study at Yale or IE Business School for a week. And so obviously, you couldn't do that in person. So I was, you know, connecting to IE Business School in Madrid, learning about um, the kind of the future of COVID in Europe from the same place where I'm giving this interview now, which is from my very, very, very small box room slash home office at home. Um, and then there was also international trips. And so those elements have obviously been removed because of remote learning. And then so the, in terms of the challenges, it requires a lot of outside the box thinking because an MBA isn't just about learning the business stuff. I probably would have done perhaps a different program, maybe one less challenging um, if I wanted to just learn, you know, the terms and develop my vocabulary. But it's also about like building a network and even learning things about the group work that it's not just about, you know, it, it, it teaches you a lot of softer skills that you kind of only realize when you been through it and halfway through it I can realize what some of those are some of them being you know delegation and trust and I think that that can be challenging in a remote environment but again I think anyone who's working on any team which is probably most of us and most people listening to this is experiencing the same challenges but hopefully by this stage we're trying at least to 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 come out of it and we'll hopefully have be working towards solutions. Was it hard Caitlin just to actually get back into the mode of learning mm. things. I mean, you know, you're obviously, maybe you're sitting down, you're reading a book for an extended period of time, making notes or whatever. But if you compare that to what you were doing in your last career, it's all short attention span stuff. It's, look, here's something happening on Twitter. Here's something happening on the TV. Bang, 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 bang. And then you're kind of going back into this quieter environment, uh, if you like. How was that? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I and, and you would know what that's like, especially you guys working in a in a busy newsroom. There is always something happening. There's always there's always noise. There's always movement. There's always excitement. And I was also doing early shifts for the last few years of my career. So I was in the office ready to rock and roll at 7 a.m. every day. So I was from 7, you know, officially till 3. But of course, nobody finishes at 3. <laughs> and that's in any job. Um, you know, you're go, 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 go. And you're never looking at the clock. Whereas now, you know, I'm looking at one of the books in front of me called Matching Supply with Demand, an Introduction to Operations Management. And there is, you do, you, 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 you do look at the clock when you're reading some of those chapters because it's just a whole different kettle of fish. And, it's, and you're trying to develop this high level overview of something in a very short period of time, which is great because journalism really helps you to do that. Um, but the idea of going kind of even even learning and learning academics, like I'm 33. Um, I'm not, I'm not that young. I'm not old, but you know, I'm at that kind of awkward mid 30 stage in, in, in my life. And I haven't been in college since I was 21. And so obviously things have changed since then, my mentality in the college itself and the, the way I think about it and the way I approach it. So I mean, it it takes a lot more breaks. Yeah. I have to be a lot more structured. I didn't have to be structured when I was in journalism because I already knew what I was doing and even when things would come up and kind of as they would inevitably happen and think stories would break you know how to react to it and you can react to it ready to go and then you can go on to your business as to what else you were doing whereas with this it's very structure has been getting me through it and a heck of a lot of breaks to be honest Were you nervous about the whole social element of it? I mean you kind of alluded to it there about, about going back to college at an older age but I think for people who are in your position you know, if you're telling your mates or your family, look, do you know what? I'm giving up this 
prestigious job that I have and I'm going back to education for a little while, that can be sort of a nerve-wracking uh, thing to do and, and sometimes people can react a bit negatively to it. Hmm. I Yeah, I, I will say I was lucky that nobody reacted negatively to my uh, to me saying that a lot of it is part of it you have to bear in mind that when all this decision making was happening I wasn't seeing people we were in lockdown it was May of last year so even if anybody did have a negative opinion they couldn't see me to tell me they would have had to really go out of their way to make a (laughs) phone call to tell me how either disappointed or annoyed they were so there was kind of this little cocoon of protection which was lovely um and so, I mean, you know, it was also kind of sad because you don't get a going away party. You don't get to see anyone. You, we had these like awkward Zoom drinks where a few of us showed up and, you know, nobody wants to spend more time on Zoom. So um, it was it was that. But I, I think people I think the people in my life were very encouraging of it and the closest people in my life were very encouraging of it for a few different reasons, namely because they knew how unhappy I had been. And um, I think when you can finally make this decision for yourself, which is a really hard decision to come to of something where you have to reconcile that you have to leave a job you love because ultimately you're not getting what you need from it. And that's a hard decision to come to. Um, And so ultimately everyone was really supportive. And I think the idea that I could be doing something that would be making me happier would be great. I mean, certainly no more than my fiance who has to listen to me complain all the time was very (laughs) encouraging. So I think he was thrilled because he's like, finally, okay. Well, I mean, I just complained about the MBA now instead, and I'm sure I'll complain about my next job. But, you know, I think it's, um, people are surprisingly very encouraging when you take a leap. And I've been really taken aback, actually. Like I put stuff up on Instagram sometimes um about changing careers and and you know kind of the decision making and the process it comes together and people are really responsive to it because I think there's a lot of people who are scared I was um and I think that I think there's a certain sense of um fear of the unknown which is completely understandable and so I suppose if there was a message to, to anybody who is listening and might be in that position and might be thinking I'm not very happy I'm not very satisfied it's nothing to do necessarily with the work or the people around me. It's just, I'm not getting what I need from it. I kind of liken it to, um, this the, the analogy I've been using is like a relationship where you love each other, but sometimes you got to let each other go. You know, there's no, um, you know, sometimes people just aren't as compatible anymore. And, and then it kind of reaches a stage where you realize that you no longer have that compatibility. And so you have to make a decision to walk away. And I think that that analogy kind of resonates with some people because you, when you think about it in those terms, which are slightly binary terms, but when you think about it that way, you can kind of think like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not that compatible with this anymore, even though, you know, I love them. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just time to it's time to go on a break, whether it's a permanent break or a Ross and Rachel kind of break. It's just time to take a break. Uh, Caitlin, it's been an absolute pleasure to hear from you and uh, thank you for kind of talking us through your own decision-making process. And I'm sure you've given a lot of food for thought to those listening. Uh, That's Caitlin McBride. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. That's all we have for this week. If you have any questions or comments, you can email FOW at Newstalk.com and we'll answer as many as we can with our expert guests each week. Don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast on the Newstalk app, on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It will be available as a podcast first every Wednesday afternoon or on the radio here on Newstalk every Saturday from 7pm. We'll chat to you next week. Future of Work on Newstalk with thanks to VHI Healthcare.
Read our expert report on social interaction in an ever-changing workplace at newstalk.com forward slash VHI healthcare.